You're listening to the QPEM Podcast. To listen to our previous Sunday worship services, please visit our website at www.qpem.org. That's qpem.org. This week's message was given by Pastor Nate Chow. Thanks, Pastor Peter. Um, yeah, brothers and sisters, it's so good um, to be with you guys this afternoon. Um, a lot of you guys may know, but I, I've um, been at this church about 10 years, and I actually walked through those doors um, 10 years ago. Um, and this is like family for me. And um, just as Pastor Peter mentioned, we're celebrating um, our family worship, and I'm just blessed to come here and, and share God's word um, with all of our parents, our, our youth, our young adults, and college students. And so before we dig into God's word together, let me just um, say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. God, we thank you that today um, you give us this place of worship where we can gather in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Father, that we get to come and hear from you And by the working of your Holy Spirit, experience change and transformation in our lives. Pray, God, as I give your word, Father, they would not be my words, but it'd be your very words. And, oh, God, that through these words, you would comfort and convict and you would move within all of us. And so, God, we thank you so much. We ask, Father, you would pour out your spirit here. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, Brothers and sisters, I want to begin um, by asking you a question And the question is um, this, where is your heart? Um, We know in Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we know that this is a a biblical teaching, but we know even beyond that, just in common everyday life, we experience the truth of this. Wherever we put our money, our time, our energy, wherever we put those things um, clearly shows where our hearts are. And actually, as we invest into whatever things that we invest into, ultimately our hearts grow larger and larger for those things, right? When we think about um, parents, um, uh, you know, I've been talking to a lot of parents recently and and they've told me that um, raising kids is no joke. (laughs) And they told me that the cost of raising kids is no joke. They said to send a a kid to like a pre-K, they said it's $500. And I was like, $500? And they were like, a month. And I was like, a month? I thought for a semester, right? We know that raising kids is it's not cheap. And yet, um, when we think about parents, what is one of their top priorities? It's to get a good education for their kids. Um, for young adults, what is it? It's to build our career, right? We'll put all of our time, our money, our energy into building up our career. Um, for youth and, and for college students, uh, maybe it's just the, the, the future, right? So um, for youth, it's your future college. For young adults, it's your future job, right? Where is it that you're putting all of, or most of your money, your time, and your energy? Because we know that ultimately, that's probably where our hearts are. Um, As as we think about this, um, I just want to give you a moment to reflect on that. Where are our hearts? Where are most of our investments? In today's passage, we see Moses, he gives an instruction to the Israelite people. And as he gives them instructions, he basically tells them that ultimately their heart should be with the Lord. They tell, he tells them ultimately to treasure the Lord above all else. And I think that's a word that the Lord gives to us today. Um, but the fact of the matter is that most of us, we would confess that um, all of us, we struggle with this, right? 
I mentioned a, a lot of things before. A lot of our money, our time, and our energy go into those things, and actually sometimes even more so than God. And yet, in this struggle, the Lord, he still gives us this word. He still gives us this instruction. And so today, I, I want to look at, even as lofty as, as these instructions are, how the Lord is directing us to be a people that come after him, and how he enables us ultimately to do so. And so today, we're looking at the book of Deuteronomy. And actually, if you guys know Deuteronomy, it's a series of sermons where Moses is preaching right before his death and before the Israelites enter into the promised land. I mean, in today's passage, we come, to, we come to what is known as the Shema, right? And it's Hebrew for hear, O Israel. And this is actually the Hebrew confession of faith, right? And so even today, if you go to like Brooklyn or, or different parts of the world, you'll see even modern day devout Jews who will still pray or recite these verses, right? But we know for us, it's more than just a description of who God is and ultimately what our duty is for him. But this passage, it contains a covenant focus and describes how not only to know about God, but to know him personally and ultimately how we are called to have a relationship with him and what kind of relationship we should have with him. And so today, um, we're just going to be looking at, at four main points. Um, the first is that you must believe that the Lord is one. Second, you must love the Lord with all that you are. Third, you must keep the Lord in all that you do. And fourth, you must acknowledge and trust the Lord in all circumstances. Um, and so first, um, the point I want to look at is that we must believe that the, that the Lord is one. Um, in Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, if you look at this passage, it can be translated in a lot of ways because in, in Hebrew, the, the verb is oftentimes not there, right? The is verb, right? And so it can be translated, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It can also be translated, the Lord our God is one Lord. And basically what these two things are saying, they're, they're slightly different. It's that um, one is focusing ultimately on God's uniqueness and one is focusing on God's unity. When Moses was preaching to the Israelites, he was telling them, you have to know that God, Yahweh, the Lord, is the only one and true God, right? But not only that, but he was hinting also at God's unity, which is ultimately speaking about God is consistent. God, his temperament doesn't change. His will doesn't change. His intentions don't change, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Why is that important for us to know? Because I, I think these two things are, are very important. First, when we think about the uniqueness of God, you know, when the Israelites were in Egypt, they were surrounded by all kinds of polytheistic gods, right? Polytheistic religions. And even as they were about to enter into the promised land, there were polytheistic gods, right? We see that there's Baal in the Canaanite region. There's Amon-Re in Egypt. In Babylon, there's Marduk. There's all these gods, right? And Moses is declaring ultimately that there is only one God, right? And not only that, but he's also claiming God's unity, that there is this one God who does not change. And this one God who has called you to be a covenant people, he does not change, right? And the Israelites, they had already experienced this before. Um, if you look at Exodus 15, 11, it says the Israelites had already experienced God's presence in their deliverance from Egyptians, bondage in the Exodus of which Moses said, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic and holy, awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders, right? Basically, 
what were they saying? They were saying, there's no God like our Lord. Um, you know, when I was younger, um, we would talk about um, have no other gods before you. And actually, I, I, I'm not sure how, how um, you guys um, grew up, but for me, when I was growing up, I, I always thought that, oh, are there other gods besides the God Yahweh? Oh, there's these other gods, but they're just not as great. And, and when I was younger and growing up, I just said, oh, you should have no other gods before you. And I always thought, oh, there's God and there's all these these other gods, right? The one in, in Baal and in the Canaanite region and in Egypt, right? And obviously, you know, I was, I was misinformed, right? And yet when we think about this, we think and we know that there's no other gods besides the God Yahweh. And yet when God, when God was preaching through Moses to the people, he was encouraging them to give their full devotion to the Lord, right? More than this God or that, it was simply this. What the Lord was calling for when he said that the Lord is one, he was making a statement, but he was, in a sense, giving a command that they should believe and hold on to this truth, that they should be committed ultimately to God, ultimately taking God as who he says he is, right? I think in, in, in our society today, we don't have a God of Babylon or a God of Egypt, perhaps, right? But we know that Islam has their own God, Hinduism has their own God, but even in just our secular society, we have our own gods, I guess, that we ultimately follow after. The first thing that Moses says is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And for us, that's the first step in walking with the Lord is to truly believe that and to confess that and not only confess that, but to live it out where our devotion and our heart is fully for God. And ultimately, I think an important note is that we must take God as who he says he is. A lot of times we want God to fit into what I want him to be. I want God to help me in, in this way or, or that way. But the Lord, he says he is the Lord. He is the one Lord and he alone is God, right? And so I know that was a little technical, but I, I, you know, I, I thought that was very important because Moses, he says that before he gives the commands, he says the Lord, your God is one. And I think we have to hold to that first. Secondly, um, Moses, he says that you must love the Lord with all that you are, right? We must love the Lord with all that we are, right? In Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 to 6, um, the Lord, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. What is the Lord saying? The Lord is saying that you must love God with every fiber of your being. He says that it has to come from your heart, your soul, and your might, right? And so briefly, I just wanna look at um, these three things, and then we're gonna discuss how we can kind of put that into practice. And so we know that um, our hearts are, are located here, but we know that in English, the heart is kind of like my affection and, and my desires, right? But actually in the Hebrew Old Testament, heart is interpreted mind, right? And so when the Lord says you should love the Lord with all of your heart, it's kind of the essence of you got to love him with all of your intellect and all of your will, right? All of your intentions, all that you think about, all that comes from, I guess, the heart, maybe in today's day and age, we might think brain, right? All of our thoughts, all of our intentions should be focused on God, right? What does it mean to be um, loving the Lord with all of your soul? Soul is actually talking about your being, your life, your vitality. 
If you look in Psalm 103.1, it says, it, it uses the, the words in a very similar way. Um, the psalmist writes, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, right? So blessing the Lord with all of my soul is blessing him with all that is within me. You see, when, when God allows Satan to kind of um, come and bring havoc into Job's life, God says to Satan, you can do anything to Job, but one thing you can't do is you can't touch his soul, nefesh, right? The same word used here. So Satan, he goes after Job's body. He goes and even kills his family and he ruins all of his, his business, but he never touches his soul, his, his being, right? And the Lord, he's commanding that we worship not just with our full intellect and our will and our intentions, but with our whole being, right? And then thirdly, it says that you, we should worship with all of our might, right? And so we should, what does it mean that you love, uh, you love him with all of your might? Uh, might is actually this word that kind of means very or great or exceedingly, right? We would, we would say that makes sense because might is like, like power or strength, right? Um, what the Lord is commanding f- for us or, and desiring for us is that we would love him with our whole physical self and laying ourselves down like living sacrifices, giving him everything, right? If we see it's, it's to the fullest of our capacities, and actually um, commentators, they say that to love the Lord with all your might, it goes beyond just your soul and your body, but includes your natural abilities and even your resources, right? Why is it that uh, I mentioned these things? Is because I, I'm trying to show you that when the Lord says to love him with all of your heart, soul, and strength, he is saying, ultimately, I want the deepest intentions of your mind. I want the deepest affections of your soul and your heart. And I want everything that you have. I want 100%, right? And we will say this makes sense because in a covenant relationship, when you have a relationship with someone, whether you're married or or yeah, when you're married, you, you come and you kind of share everything. You devote everything. You stay committed in everything, right? And so even with, with the Lord, as he loves us with all that he has, you would expect that he expects that from us, to love every, everything that we have, to love him with everything that we have, right? But the fact of the matter is, I think a lot of the times we say, oh, Pastor Nate, I, I, I know that. I'm supposed to love the Lord with my heart, soul, and strength. I, I know that. But the reality is actually, myself included, all of us, we kind of struggle. Before, before I mentioned that we're called to um, make God our, our priority, give him our heart, that's where our treasure is, right? The confession is a lot of the times we do a lot of things for the Lord, but actually our heart, our soul, our strength are devoted to other things. You know, um, I, I think when the Lord is asking for this love and calling for this obedience, we have to be very careful. Um, the reason is because, you know, when I was growing up, we all learned the importance of obedience, right? We learned that you have to be obedient to mom and daddy, right? So young kids, they know, mom and dad, you have to be obedient. They learned that when you go to school, you have to listen to the teachers, right? We learned that when you come before authorities, when I was young, I was kind of scared of the cops. It was like, oh, you got to always respect the authorities, right? But even God, you have to come and, and, and you have to give your respect and your obedience to God, right? And I think these are all really good things to learn, right? It, we, we must um, learn obedience, right, to authority. 
And yet I think when we misunderstand what obedience really is and what it looks like, we start to become obedient for the wrong reasons, right? So when we see like even myself and, and maybe some of our kids and, and maybe some of you guys, as we're growing up, we wanna be obedient to God, why? Because we're like, please, please, the scary God in heaven, he's gonna punish me. And because he's gonna punish me, I gotta be obedient so that he won't punish me. Or we say, oh, this God, the scary God in heaven, he's only gonna bless me if I'm obedient. And therefore, I'm just going to just do the things that are obedient and hope that somehow he will bless me, right? But we know that ultimately this kind of obedience is not what pleases the Lord. Because when we think about that, that in reality, that kind of obedience is not serving the Lord, but it's actually serving ourselves, right? We're really serving ourselves. But how is it that we can be obedient in the right way? It's not to focus on our actions, but it's actually to focus on our minds and our hearts, right? You know, C.S. Lewis, he, he writes um, ultimately about the virtue of obedience, and he says that there's an error when you only focus on the actions. He says that when you focus on the actions, you can do something, right? And you might even do something good, but if you do it with the wrong intentions, it's actually not good, right? When we do something, right? Even when we do something for God and, and, and we do good things for God, if we do it with the wrong intentions, it's not good, right? C.S. Lewis, he, he makes this analogy. He says, think about a tennis player. A tennis player is playing tennis and then they're like, out of a moment of anger and frustration, they smack the ball. But when they smack it, they score the point and they actually end up winning the game. He says, maybe for that moment, it was good for that tennis player but surely he has picked up a bad habit, right? Because now he, he, he's kind of, perhaps that's somehow ingrained in his, in his memory and, and it's not good, right? And likewise, I think when, when we look at our, our, ourselves, right? We can do a, a lot of the good actions and do the obedient things, right? But the Lord, he is truly not after what you're doing. Of course, God, he cares about what you do, right? But that's not what he's primarily looking at. What are you doing today? What did you do yesterday? What are you doing tomorrow? What the Lord is looking at is he's looking at your heart, right? And as he's looking at your heart, he wants to see where it ultimately is. Is it coming for the Lord or is it coming for something else, right? And so I think the Lord, he commands us that we should love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might, what is he saying? He, he doesn't want just our actions, but he wants our in, entire being, right? Beyond that, the Lord, he doesn't just want all that we are, but he also wants us to keep him in all that we do. Um, if you look at verses seven to nine of our passage, it says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and your gates, right? The Lord, he's saying, take the decrees and, 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 and my commands and, and what I've called you to do and put it in your heart, right? He says that put it in the house and on the way. What does that mean? In the private life and in the public life, on the head and on the hand. He says what you're thinking inside and actually what you're doing outside when you go to bed, right? When you lie down, when you get up, 
when you rise, every part of your life, right? When it says here that you should write them on your doorpost, he's talking about your home. And when he says um, on your gates as well, it's referencing city gates. And, and basically it's saying you should keep God at the center of your private and your public life, in your thinking, in your doing, in your lying down, in your waking up, in every part of your life. And you're also called to do that in your home and in the city gates, which means in your social, economic, and political life, right? What the Lord, through Moses, was telling the people was that you have to involve me, you have to keep me in every single part of your life, right? I think a lot of us, we struggle with that. A lot of us, you know, God is part of my life on Sunday. God is part of my life for a certain time in my life. Maybe God is part of my life in the public, but not in the private. Or perhaps in the private, but not in the public, right? But the Lord is saying into every corner of your life, the question we should be asking is, how does God affect this? And how does our knowledge and love and relationship with God affect what we're doing here, right? How does it transform every aspect of my life, right? I think when we experience grace, um, this doesn't necessarily come right away, right? It's not like I'm a believer and now everything is permeating with, with God and, and love for God, Honestly, in, 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 our, in our fallen bodies, we, we still wrestle and we struggle, right? And yet the Lord, he, he gives us this command as a, as a good reminder that in all that we do, not just in certain parts of my life, but all that we do, the Lord is to be present and the Lord is to be at the forefront of our minds, right? We're to permeate every sphere of our lives with, with God and his word, right? You know, as I was thinking about, um, this is parent, uh, I guess, family worship um, weekend. Um, and I thought, how can this relate to our parents? <laughs> it says here in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children, right? I think this is very important because I think it's applicable for all of us. But especially as this is directed to parents, I think the Lord is saying something to the parents, right? Keep in mind, the Israelites are about to go into the promised land and inhabit their home, Right? And the Lord is saying, basically, to permeate God in every aspect of your family's life, right? Um, I guess, practically speaking, I think us as parents, well, I'm not a parent yet, but parents, um, we have to create a culture. We have to create a culture at home. And it's not the once a week or once a day family worship. That's, that's very important, too. But we have to have formative instruction, right? We have to help our children to think biblically, right? We have to have the lens and the culture of Christianity that gives them a framework to live, right? And so when our children ask, what is worth living for? We can direct them to the Lord. When they ask, what is worth dying for? We direct them to the Lord, right? This is what I think as, as parents, we're, we're called to provide for our children, and this comes in our plan time, in the, in the family worship, and in the, in the instruction. But I think it also comes in the unplanned time, in the daily life, right? You know, I, I think this is kind of like the Korea model, but it's like, hey, my kids, they need to grow spiritually, so let me send them to church, and hopefully they can stay there eight hours a day and then grow spiritually. And I think the church and Christian schools and, and all the like are extremely profitable for our, our children's growth 
But ultimately, the home is the primary place where they receive formative education, right? And so I, I think we have to really ask ourselves, um, in, our, in our household, what kind of culture are we creating? Not just on, on Sunday, but I'm talking about every single day, right? Because when God was giving this command and these words to Israel, it was actually, if you look at verse 1 to 3 of, of this passage, it actually speaks about how this word is, is for the Israelites and their children and their children's children, right? And so even when we think about our children, uh, you know, I'm not a parent, so I, I, I can't fully relate or, or say, but I, I know there's so many different struggles that come with raising the child. Actually, I, I know probably for a lot of you, day by day, just getting through the day is like, God, give me the grace and the energy to get through the day. But I think as, as we keep this in mind, how the Lord wants to be permeated to every part of our lives, of our family's life, we have to, when we think about our kids, I think Paul Tripp, who wrote a great book on parenting, he, he puts it perfectly. He says, when you think about your kids, don't think about survival, but think about kingdom. Don't think about survival, but think about kingdom, right? And I think that's not applicable just for parents, but even brothers and sisters who, who are much younger. Um, I think we are also called not just to think about the daily grind, but to think about the kingdom, and how can God permeate into every part of my life, right? And I think as, as we do this, the way we can impress the love of the Lord on the lives of those around us, even our children, is to first have God impressed on our own hearts, right? We have to be impressed by the beauty of the character of God, and we have to delight in him. And it is that love that allows us to pour that over to our children and, and to whoever we're connecting to. And so I think the Lord, he, he calls us. He calls us to not just love him with all that we are, but to keep the Lord in all that we do, every single detail. I think this one maybe will strike home a, a little more as, as, as we continue in, in, in the words that Moses is giving to the Israelites. We have to acknowledge you must acknowledge and trust the Lord in all circumstances, right? Um, it's, it's a little long, but I, I wanted to give us the full context. And so if you look at me, look with me at Deuteronomy 6, 10 to 15, I'll just read it for us. It says, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in, the midst, in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. If we look here, um, the Lord is giving a warning. He's saying, as you go into the promised land and as life gets really good, be very careful. It says here, take care, lest you forget the Lord, right? What, what is this saying? I think it's, if you apply it to us here today, um, for the Israelites, it was, as you're being blessed with so many things, don't forget the source of your blessings. Don't forget who gave this all to you. 
Don't forget, right? I think it's a relevant word for us because in, in our lives, we so often forget. You know, I, um, we're going to be looking at just two brief points here, but I think when the highs get really high and the lows get really low, that's when we lose sight of God, right? When things are so good, we forget that those blessings come from God, and a lot of times we attribute them to ourselves. Man, I worked really hard, so I got into this college. I worked really hard, so I got this job. I work really hard. Look at all the work that I'm putting in, and so look where I am. And God is saying, look, be warned. If that is not your doing, ultimately it comes from the grace of the Lord. All that we have, all that we are, all that we've even built ourselves up to be and, and have come to attain, it's not from our own strength, but it, it's a blessing that comes from the Lord. It says that the Lord, he gave us these things, right? And I think we have to acknowledge the Lord in all circumstances, even when the situation is, is really good. But not only that, but if we continue on, it's also when the situation is bad. If you look at verse 16 to 19, it says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. As you tested him at Massa, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised, right? It says here that you should not put the Lord your God to the test, right? We know that ultimately um, Moses is referring to Exodus 17 when the children of, of God were in the desert, right? And they thought they were going to die of thirst. And they got really upset. And they said, we're going back to Egypt, right? And basically, they're like, you got to prove something to us, God. You got to give us this water, right? You got to prove that ultimately you are worthy of me listening and following you. And as long as things are going the way that I understand they should go, then I will follow you, right? Of course, that's like a, a, a paraphrase and uh, more of a modern rendition. But I think that's applicable for us today as well. Why? Because we find ourselves in the wilderness oftentimes. And we actually find ourselves putting God to the test. We actually say, God, you have to prove to me that you are good, then I will believe it. God, when things go so bad, I won't believe it, right? I won't trust in you, right? We're going through this um, pandemic and, you know, I don't, I don't take it lightly. I know a lot of people are, are getting sick. A lot of people are passing away. Um, and I know, you know, I've I spoken to some friends who have their own business, and I know maybe even some members in, in our QPEM family, um, maybe with, with business, um, you're, you're suffering a lot, right? And I think it's in, in these moments, in these hard times, that the Lord, he calls us to draw to him again and to come in and to trust in him, right? Even in this most difficult circumstance, we have to understand that there is this great gap between God and me, between his understanding and my understanding. Why he's using this coronavirus, we might not know the exact answer. But God, he does. And God, he is one. And God, he is faithful, right? Um, in, our, in our Bible study for senior high, we, we, we briefly looked at this and it, it talked about how um, Christ, when he descends, it's such a humble thing. It's as humble as if we became like sheep, right? If we actually became actual sheep, how humbling would that be? Like we're people, right? But 
if you think about the distinction between God and man versus man and sheep, there's a bigger distinction between God and man than there is man and sheep. Of course, you know, we're, we're made in the image of God, but what I mean is God, he is infinite, eternal. We are created, we're creatures, right? And so when we think about that, when we come and, 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 and deal with other animals or, or different objects or different things, a lot of times they won't know what's going on, right? I, um, recently during this coronavirus, I've been looking at a lot of, uh, I don't do TikTok, okay? But I, I do go on, on Facebook and Instagram, right? And I know there's a lot of dog lovers and I know a lot of our members here have dogs, right? And I've seen a, a, a lot of people um, hanging out with their dogs, right? And I even saw some people, they're trying to groom their dogs, shower them, and, and, you know, like, make sure they're clean. And these videos they're putting up, it's like these dogs are running wild. And they're like, no, like, they don't want, they don't want this shower. They don't want to, they don't want to get wet. They, they don't want this grooming, right? And I, and I thought about it. Um, a, a dog knows that the owner loves, loves him, right? And yet, even in that moment, the dog probably cannot understand. Why are you trying to put me on this water, right? I, I don't want to be washed, Right? And, and when you think about that, the dog it does not quite understand what we're doing, but for sure we have the dog's best, our, our pet's best intention in mind, right? The dog does not understand, but we have that best intention. Even more so, the gap is greater between us and God. And so whatever we're going through, God, who is our God and who is faithful, who is creator, who is redeemer, all that he's doing, he has a reason and a purpose for it. And we might not understand it, but we're called to come and trust the Lord in all circumstances. But how are we to ultimately do so? Um, uh, I, I kind of built it up where I was like, hey, you gotta do this. God says, do this, do this, do this, right? But we know that it's, it's impossible to do all of these things I just mentioned. It's a big burden. I, I hope I didn't burden you, but it is God's word. But with this burden, how can we do so? It comes in the last five verses of, of this chapter. Um, from verses 20 to 25, it says, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, right? If you, if you look here, when, you, when your children ask you, mom, dad, why do I have to go to church Mom, dad, why do I have to trust God in these hard times? I don't want to trust God, right? When we even ask ourselves, not just our kids, when we ask ourselves, why is it that I have to follow God and, and all that he's asking of me? Why do I have to give myself to him? Why do I have to trust him? Moses says here, when your son asks and that time comes, why do I have to do these things? You give this answer. And, and what's the answer? Uh, Moses, he says to the people, remember your redemptive history. Remember what happened in Egypt. Remember God's faithfulness in delivering you, right? And as God delivered us from Egypt and Pharaoh's hand, and as he brought us into freedom, because of that, now we serve the Lord, right? 
And so when we think about that, why is it that we're to give God all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might? Why is it that we permeate him in all that we do in every part of our life? Why do we hold him to be the only God of our life? It's ultimately why, because God has delivered us, right? And for Israel, what was their place in history? The biggest redemptive event for them was being delivered from Egypt. And we know that in this place in redemptive history, we have an even greater and larger event, which is the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when we ask ourselves, why do I have to be obedient to God? Why should I give God all of my devotion? Why should I give him everything and trust in him? It's because why? God has delivered us. God has saved us. We know that ultimately, even as the Israelites were in Egypt, The 10th plague came and the death of the young boys, the firstborns were, the the Lord um, brought death on on the firstborns, right? And we know that at the time, even the Israelites, they were sinners too, and perhaps they would find themselves dead too. But what happens? They put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. And as they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, we know that ultimately they are saved, right? And for us, we know that it is the blood of Christ which ultimately saves us. It is the blood of Christ who is the blood of Christ, which is our salvation, right? When we, when we keep this in mind, uh, when we instruct on the things that we have to do and the ways we have to obey God, look at God's structure. He says, do these things, but do them in light of what I have done for you, right? I think practically speaking, that's very important because if you look at verse 24, it says, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God, for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day, right? Um, I, I think a lot of the times with, with our kids, what is it that we do? We say, hey, we should go to church because God is good and he deserves our worship, right? We, we do that and it's not false, right? But what is it that God does through Moses here? He doesn't just do that, but he first comes and, and he gives them redemptive history. He gives them the truth, right? He doesn't just tell them, but he shows them, he explains it. And I think likewise to our kids, to our friends, and even to ourselves, when we struggle to be obedient, when we struggle to have a heart for God, when we struggle to be a people after the Lord, we simply need to look back and remember God's love and sacrifice for us, right? I think the reason that that is so important is because a lot of the times we do things out of believing, and that's important, but there's a step that goes beyond, and that's delighting, right? When we think about God, we believe in him, and so we do these things, that's one thing. But when we believe in him and delight in him for what he has done for us, that's a whole nother thing. And we know that it's not gonna be perfect. We, we, we're not gonna follow these commands perfectly, right? We're not gonna be able to raise our kids perfectly, right? But I think, I think in the midst of that, the Lord is saying, be obedient not so that your obedience receives salvation, but be obedient because you have received salvation. And in that hope, love me, for I have loved you first. And so brothers and sisters, I, I hope that we could do that. I hope that we could in this tough season, it's, it's a very tough season, in this tough season, that we would be reminded of God's love for us ultimately, what, through Christ's sacrifice. And so as you remember this, you know, Jesus, he takes this command, and then in Mark 12, 28, 34, I won't read the whole thing, but he talks about this command, and he says, it is better to love the Lord and better to love your neighbor as yourself, 
more than burnt offerings and sacrifices. And so in our lives, let us not just go through the actions, doing things, offering burnt offerings and sacrifices, but let us love the Lord and in turn love our neighbors and first and foremost our own families and pour out the love of Christ into them. So let me just take a moment um, to pray for us and then we'll close. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. God, we thank you that you call us here, my people, hear my word. We thank you, God, that by your word, we are reminded that you are the one and true God, that you deserve all of our heart, soul, and mind, and strength. We thank you that you remind us that you deserve every part of our life. And so, God, as we look to you, um, we confess that we're often weak in these places. Pray, God, in our weakness, Lord, that the strength of the cross, that the strength of Christ would overflow into us so that day by day in our walk with you, we would draw closer to you. Pray, Father, that you would especially bless just the families that we have here. Bless the mothers and fathers who are in quarantine with their children and perhaps having a hard time. I pray, God, you would give them godly wisdom and instruction so that they can lead their families. Pray for you know, our, our young adults, as a lot of them are working from home, I pray, Father, you would watch over them. Pray for our college students who, especially our seniors who are graduating and don't have a graduation to look forward to. I pray, God, that you would remind them that you remain the same God faithful to them. Pray for our high schoolers who are going through AP exams. I pray, God, that all of our QPEM and KPCQ family would just be reminded that you remain steadfast and you remain true. And so, God, help us to devote our lives to you and let us be not just individuals, but a church of people that run after your heart. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the QPEM podcast. For more information on our church, please visit our website at www.qpem.org. That's Q-P-E-M.org.